Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. I want you to turn to James, if you would, please, James chapter 1, and we're going to look at that verse 19 in a moment, but I want to reiterate a few points that I made recently in teaching on meditation in the Word of God. In the book of Matthew, chapter 7 and verses 24 through 27, our Lord taught us something of tremendous value and importance each and every one of our lives, no matter who we are. Actually, in the whole chapter, he gave a list of warnings to God's people. He started out by saying that you shouldn't judge, that you be not judged. He went on to say you shouldn't cast your pearls before the swine. He went on to say that do unto others as you would have others to do unto you. If you want mercy, show mercy. If you want love, show love. If you want a friend, be a friend. Amen? He went on to also talk about, it's not those that say, Lord, Lord, who will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's those that do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. What a statement. And what a warning. He then went on to talk about the fact that in this realm of life, no matter who you are, where you come from, what your background is, you will encounter difficult situations. You will be persecuted. You will have storms. You'll face sickness, disease, financial difficulties, Stripes, trying to enter into relationships and destroy relationships, family units being attacked by outside forces, trying to bring disunity and harmony to the home. No matter who you are, you will be attacked in your mind with anxiety, fear, worry. All those forces that are out there are going to attack people. That's just the way this life is. In the world, you will have tribulation. But he went on to conclude by saying, and this is a warning, those who are wise will lay the foundation of their lives upon solid ground. They will not only hear the word, but they will be doers thereof, so that when these storms come, they will not be overtaken or devastated by the storm. They will be equipped to overcome the storms of life. But the one who is a hearer only, that person is going to be one who will not be able to stand against the storms of life. They will come and he or she will fail to overcome. They'll be victimized by the storm. And we said the reason why is due to the fact that they think, the hearer thinks that hearing is an end in itself that as long as I hear the Word of God being taught or sit under the teaching of the Word, and as long as I commit the Word to memory, or as long as I know the history of the Word, or the Greek, or the Hebrew, 
background knowledge and all that, that is sufficient to being an overcomer. And that's not what Jesus taught. Now, it's wonderful to be here and have all that knowledge, but if that's as far as it goes, listen, you're not going to overcome the storms of life. There is another step, the Lord says, that we have to be ushered into. You need to be committed to being a doer of the Word of God. The doer is blessed in his deed. One translation says the doer is blessed in his doing. See, it's his doing that enables him to be blessed. Well, if doing the Word is so important, then how do I do the Word of God? Is there some ability that I have on my own that equips me to do the Word of God? Well, not really. To be a doer of the Word of God, we found out in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8 that Jehovah God Himself said to Joshua, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest be able, or that thou mayest observe to do all according to all that is written therein. How does one become a doer of the Word of God? Through meditation, through keeping the Word of God in our mouths and meditating it by day and night. And we said meditation is a spiritual exercise that does what? It strengthens the spirit. It builds faith into the spirit. It's an exercise, a spiritual exercise that cultivates and develops the very life of God within and enables the believer to be a doer. And I need to remind us of something that is so important, and that's this. If we're not doing the Word of God, then the cat's out of the bag. We're not meditating it by day and night. The cat's out of the bag. We're just not meditating it by day and night. Because if we did, we'd observe to do it. But our minds are so distracted with countless things to do in life that let's face it, for the most part, people do not take the time to give meditation in the Word its proper place. My son, attend to my Word. Incline thine ear into my saying. Let them not depart from before thine eyes and keep them in the midst of thine heart. Then they become life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. We can't expect to experience the life and the health without first giving attention to the Word of God. Can you see that? So we must be doers of the Word in order for us to prosper in our way. He said, then you'll make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. When? When you give daily meditation to the Word of God and put the Word of God in your mouth and keep it there so that it bears fruit in your life. Well, then we went on to say another truth and that is we found it in Proverbs 23, 7. I quoted it. I don't know that I gave you the verse, but it talks about this. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We talked about the importance of doing something with the mind. We talked about the fact that what we fix our minds on 
will control our lives. And in actuality, we have an indicator within that tells us whether or not we are indeed operating in the realm of faith. Just figure out what your mind is stayed on and I'll tell you exactly where you're at. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or fixed on thee because he trusteth, that's faith, in thee. But if there is anxiety, worry, and fretting in the forefront of the mind and the mind is full of anxiety and, and uh, despair and worrisome and all that, what, what does that mean? that the person is not resting in faith. The mind is not fixed on God. Beloved, we need staying power when it comes to our minds. We need an anchor for the soul. We need to fix our minds on the things of God. Even when you offer prayer with thanksgiving, we are told what to think on afterwards. Are we not? Think on these things. Why did God say think on these things? Things that are true, pure, lovely, honest, just. If there's any good report, virtue, any praise. Think on these things. Why? Because he knew the need for us to keep ourselves single-minded. The double-minded man receives nothing from God. Everybody say nothing. Did you hear that? Let not that man think. What man? The double-minded man. Let not that man think he shall receive anything from God. Why? He's unstable in all of his ways. Meditation is important because what it does, it helps us fix our minds on the things of God. As a matter of fact, I said it like this. God has given us words to produce images or pictures in our mind's eye. Pictures of who we are in Christ, pictures of our victory in Christ. Through words, we can build an image of ourselves as being overcomers in this life. We can actually see ourselves overcoming every obstacle. We can see ourselves speaking to our mountains of adversity and those mountains having to be removed from us. If you don't win the battle for the mind, you don't win the battle in the natural. See, the person who thinks he can win the battle by not doing anything with his mind is double-minded and that person is unstable and that person is not, he is deceived and deluded into thinking he can still be that way and win the victory. But God made it very clear to us that we can't. The mind must be fixed. The mind must be stayed. There must be staying power as far as the mind is concerned, we need an anchor for the soul so that we are single-minded and the whole body is full of light and then God has the opportunity to manifest Himself in our lives and bring to pass whatever it is that we're believing Him for. Now go to the book of James, if you would. Please. You're in the book of James, chapter 1. And verse 19. Now, James, of course, is writing to churches scattered everywhere. And apparently he received information about these churches, about their condition. He knew much about their attitudes. He knew their way of thinking because he addressed this from the very beginning. 
to put it in its setting, he talks about those that were experiencing trials and temptations. And he says, look, you're supposed to count it all joy. Not be sad, not be perplexed, not be overwhelmed, but count it joy when you encounter difficult situations in life. Why? Knowing that the trying of your faith produces staying power. The trying of your faith produces staying power. That's what patience is. It is the ability to remain unchanging in changing circumstances. It's staying power. Be followers of those who through faith and staying power inherit the promises. What do you mean staying power? Well, patience undergirds our faith. And if I'm believing God for a miracle, I'm going to be tempted in my mind to be distracted from what God said. That's the devil's job, to get me double-minded, to get me to look away from the promise to the problem. And if I'm double-minded going back and forth from the promise to the problem, from the promise to the problem, I am double-minded. There is confusion in every evil work. The work of God is not being done. I need staying power. I need to be able to look to the Word of God and stay fixed on the Word of God. And when the enemy comes and tells me, but look, it's not working, I'm supposed to resist that thought and look to the Word of God and say, I cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. I've got staying power in my life. No, I'm thanking God for the answer. I'm thanking God for the victory. I'm thanking God that I've overcome. I don't, I don't have any time to pay any attention to what you have to say about the fact that God is not at work in my life or I didn't get what I asked God for. There's not enough time for that, beloved. We're thanking God for the answer. We're thanking God for the victory. We're thanking God for our deliverance. We're thanking God for our success. And the enemy comes along to distract us, but we say, no, no, I've got staying power. I've got an anchor for the soul. Can you see that? We need an anchor for the soul. The Word never teaches us that the double-minded man gets everything he wants, does it? No. He's unstable and gets nothing from God. So he told these people, look, God is not the cause of your problems. This is what he tells these people. You think that your trouble has come from God, but he sets the record straight and he makes it crystal clear to every single one of these individuals that your temptations, your testings, and your trials are not coming to you from God. Don't let anyone say that. Not one person. Don't let one person say that. As a matter of fact, he said, God is the giver of all good gifts. He's the author of everything that is good. He is the giver of everything that is good. Amen? Amen. That's what he tells these people. And he says to them, now don't err. Look at verse 16. Don't err or be deceived, beloved brethren. Can you see that as long as the devil can make people think that their problems are coming from God, they'll be double-minded. They'll be saying, Lord, help me, but, well, maybe you want me to be like this. Maybe you sent this thing to me. Well, Lord, you think maybe you can have a little bit of mercy on me? Well, you know, if, if you're really in it, I better just sit tight and find out what you've got in it for me. And they're going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. There's no stability there. You can't fix your mind on anything. You have no anchor for your soul. We need to know, like he told them, your problem hasn't come from God. Don't err on this all-important point, he is saying. Don't be deceived in your mind. See, if the battle's not won in the mind, it won't be won out here where we live. 
Be single-minded. Every good and perfect gift has come from God. He's the author of it. He's the giver of it. Don't err. Look at verse 18. Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth. That we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. In other words, the, the best and the greatest gift that God had to offer mankind was the gift of eternal life through his son Jesus Christ. And he gave him. He didn't withhold Jesus, so how can he freely withhold anything from us? And he tries to explain this so that they could be renewed in the spirit of their minds and have an anchor for their soul and be fixed, have staying power, knowing that God is not the problem, but he is the problem solver. He is the gift giver, and the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Now look at verse 19. Wherefore, in other words, Based on all this, that God is so good, God is not our problem, our problem rather, He is not the source behind our problems. He is the one who gives us every good thing. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to what? Hear. Now, he's talking about a hearer of the Word. We have never said you shouldn't be a hearer of the Word. We said you shouldn't be a hearer only. Amen? Let every man be swift to hear. We need to hear, but we shouldn't stop at being a hearer only. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Well, let me give you some other translations. The beginning of verse 19. My dear brothers, take note of this from the NIV. You must understand this, my beloved, from the New Revised Standard Version. And then the Revised says this. Know this as a command. Know this. He is speaking sharply to the people. He is targeting their minds. He wants to produce an anchor for the soul. And he says, know this. Know what? Know that every man needs to be slow or swift rather to hear. First, become a hearer of what God has to say. Pay attention to the Word of God. Get your eyes off your problems. Get your eyes off of the situation, the trial, the temptation, the persecution. Start paying attention to what God has spoken. It is needful that every child of God is quick to hear what God has to say, that there is a readiness about them to pay attention to what God has to say and make it a part of his or her life. This, he says, is necessary. So take heed and pay attention. Whatever God has to say about himself, we need to know. Whatever God has to say about us, we need to know. Whatever God has to say about the enemy and his position, we need to know. 
Whatever God has said about our blessings, blessing us in this life, we need to know and we need to pay attention to that. But they were distracted. They were confused. They were vacillating. They were double-minded. So he calms them down and he says, be swift to hear. Look at this. And be slow to speak. Ouch. Oh, sometimes we're just too quick to let people know how much we don't know. <laughs> we need to watch what we say. First about God. Second about ourselves. Third about our situation. These people weren't saying the right thing about God. I've talked to people. You've talked to people. I have sat down with people and with all compassion and all mercy in my heart and I have attempted and endeavored to do everything I possibly could to shape their thinking and mold it into the way that God wanted it to be. You know, and I don't say this in any derogatory way whatsoever, but I would just sit there and watch their attention go like this from looking at me, paying attention to totally distracted and back to their own way of thinking. I say, but you know what God said about that situation? And I start to quote a verse of Scripture, and all of a sudden they'd wander off and just go back over. You don't know how bad it is, though. I'm telling you, it's so awful. You know, I, I understand what you're trying to say to me. The problem is, see, they don't have an anchor for the soul. And they're so swift to rehearse the problem that there is no time for them to get the Word into their thinking into their hearts. There's no attention given to the Word of God. They're fixed on the wrong thing. Their minds are stayed on the wrong thing. And there's some staying power, beloved. Let me tell you something right now. You want to learn about staying power? Look at the opposite effect first and you'll get taught right away about staying power. When people have serious problems, they can't get their mind off it. I mean every thought Every statement that's made is usually based on the problem. And it just flows and flows and flows. And you try to get it back over here, and you might do it for about 10 seconds, and boom, boom, back, there it is. And you just go, there's help for you, but I just can't seem to get it over to you. Let every man be swift to hear what God has to say. Pay attention to that. Be slow to speak. And you'll see why here in a minute. And slow to what? In other words, watch what you say and watch your temper. You see, because if you have resentment, ill temper, hatred, or vengeance in your life, that's not going to promote the work of God. And look at the next verse. That's exactly what he says. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. He's talking about the fact that when a man is angry at God because he feels he's the source of his problem and he's not doing anything about his problem, well, the wrath that he has, the, either the, if you want to call it hatred, I've talked with people that were just so angry with God you couldn't even imagine it. I talked to a woman one time who blamed God for taking her child's life and she said, I'll never serve him. 
I will never serve him. And I gave hours. I'm talking about hours of attention to this person to try to get that person to clearly see that God was not the one that stole that baby's life. But that woman just could not see it. She could not receive it. She refused because she was stayed. Her mind was stayed and fixed on the fact that God was the problem. Her wrath couldn't work the righteousness of God in her life. Can you see that? And I'll tell you something else. When people are overcome by anger, like he's talking here, also they're not a shining light for God. The righteousness of God can't be revealed through their lives either. And God can't be revealed as a morally right God. Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works. We're supposed to emanate God. God is supposed to, to be seen in our lives. But when there is anger and ill temper or vengeance or hatred, God cannot be seen. God cannot be seen at work in that person's life or in the situation whatsoever. And so James is trying to tell them, that is not a right attitude for you to display. If you want to stop the working of God's Word in your life, all you've got to do is have an improper view of who your God is and what your God has done. And can you see why Satan wants to inject that kind of thinking in the people's minds? This woman was angry at God for doing something he didn't do. And she was bound up, and she said flat out, I will never serve him with my life. I pray to God she came back to him, but I, that was years ago. And she said, I will never serve a God like that. We need to watch what we say about God. I've been at funerals where people have been told God took that person's life or God caused that to happen. And I've even had some people with their unrenewed minds say, I don't know much about God, but I don't think he'd do something like this. And other believers saying, oh yeah, God's at work. And you kind of think, what in the world? Where are their minds at? They're confused exactly where the devil wants them to be. You see, meditation, beloved, will help us to obtain staying power in our minds. We'll be able to fix our minds on Him, on what He has said, on what He has spoken, so that we are not overcome by the storms of life. Now let's read on. Verse 21. Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, we have to rid ourselves, James is saying, no matter who we are. Once you've been born again, we have to rid ourselves of the surplus or the remainder of that which is filthy in the sight of God. What's he talking about? These people are born again. They're washed in the blood of Jesus. What is this surplus of naughtiness or filthiness in a person's life who is born again and washed in the blood? What is this residue or this remainder called filthiness and naughtiness? What's he talking about here? He is talking about the way they think. Their souls have not been redeemed. Their minds have not been renewed. 
their thinking was wrong. And because their thinking was wrong, their believing was wrong. Their speaking was wrong. Their actions were wrong. As a result, what they experienced in life was what not, not what God intended for them to have. And he says, look, we've got to rid ourselves, or you have got to rid yourselves of that kind of thinking. That's the wrong way to think. You've got to fix your mind on what God said. You've got to learn about what God said. You've got to clothe yourselves with the thoughts of God. Do you recall in the book of Ephesians where we're told to put off the old man and put on the new? See, the new man that's established in righteousness needs to be put on. We've got to change our way of thinking which will change our way of believing and acting. Even though we got saved, it does not necessarily mean that our thinking has changed and our actions have changed. He's telling them, your thinking is all wrong. Get rid of that filthy thinking, that overflow, that surplus, that residue of, of, of thinking, the way you thought before. You've got to get rid of that. And you've got to renew your mind to the Word of God. You've got to start thinking the thoughts of God. God's ways and thoughts are so far higher than our ways and thoughts that we have got to give place to His thoughts. The carnal mind, Romans 8, 7, is enmity against God. You know what that means? It's an active form of rebellion against God. That's what it means. The carnal mind is enmity or an active force of rebellion against God. We have got to rid ourselves of that kind of a mind. And it's for all of us, no matter who we are. You get saved, your thinking is not changed. I know I thought differently than I do right now. When I first got saved, I didn't think like I do right now. Thank God my mind is being renewed. I put off that old kind of stinking thinking. What about you? And start putting on some refreshing thinking. Thinking the way God wants me to think. How do I do that? By receiving with humility the engrafted or the implanted word. Look at that verse. It tells us how to do it. And receive with meekness or humility the engrafted or the implanted word of God. What does that mean? To implant means to set permanently in our consciousness or habits. In other words, being committed to taking the Word of God and implanting it into our consciousness or habits. We don't just merely glance at the Word of God. He is saying we get a hold of the Word of God and plant it within our heart as an implant so that it gets a hold of us, it affects the way we think, it affects the way we believe, it affects the way we speak, and it affects the way we act. This is what James is telling them. Through meditation on the Word of God, we give place to this kind of activity. The Word is implanted within the heart. So the hearer hears the Word of God makes a decision that I like what, what God has to say. I appreciate what God has spoken about me, about Himself, about what He's done 
But you know what? I'm not living it yet. It's not affecting my life yet. I'm not satisfied with just being a hearer. I want to be more than just a hearer. Notice, it's able to save your souls. The soulish part of man is comprised of his mind, will, and emotions, his reasoning faculties. The engrafted or the implanted Word of God enters into the life of the person and changes the way he thinks, changes the way he believes, changes the way he speaks, changes the way he acts. It is able to save or to deliver you from your corrupt reasoning faculties. A more literal translation of that. The engrafted or the implanted Word of God will deliver us from our corrupt reasoning faculties. And he's trying to tell these people, your thinking is so far off base that you need change in your life. So come and begin paying attention to what God has said. Start hearing the Word of God. But don't stop there. See, he's talking about a hearer right here. He is actually emphasizing hearing rather than speaking and wrath, isn't he? Hear, listen to what God has to say. Take heed what you hear, take heed how you hear, but listen to what God has to say about all the important subjects of life. But then he says, don't stop there. Look at the next verse. Verse 22. But be ye what? See, he says, now come and be here. Stop listening to what the problem is saying. Stop listening to what the devil is saying. Stop listening, listening to all the negativism. Stop listening to even your own reasoning faculties and give some attention to what God has to say. You want to know one of the biggest problems we have in life is hearing accurately? We're so busy in our minds that we don't have to hear what people have to say. Honey, I want you to get me some bread, milk, spaghetti, the, the, the. Six to seven things. You bebop over to the store. You get there. Pull out your quarter. Put it in the phone. What did you say to get, honey? I knew you'd call. I knew you'd never remember. What? Because it wasn't a priority. Your mind was so busy, you half heard what she was saying, and you got half the list, and you didn't want to go home embarrassed with only getting half the list, so you called her up to find out what the rest of the list was. A lot of people are like that. When it comes to the things of God, we're like that. He's saying hearing the Word of God is not sufficient. It is insufficient to a successful life. If you want to be successful, if you want to be victorious, then you've got to graduate from being a hearer of the Word of God to becoming a doer of the Word of God. Amen? But be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Now, in that setting, the word here there is implying this is a person who sits from lecture to lecture to lecture to lecture being taught the Word of God. He attends, he listens, lecture after lecture after lecture after lecture, and you know what? Yeah! Boy, that was good! 
Boy, I needed to hear that. Oh, yeah. That's what God said. You're right. God said that. Yep. Can't wait to tell my wife. Boy, she's going to want to hear this. Sure, that's what he said. But listen, this person is self-deluded because he thinks that hearing is an end in itself. Well, I sit there and listen to what he says. Isn't that enough? No. I heard about that. Not enough. You can hear about walking in love and hear about walking in love and hear about walking in love and hear about walking in love. But brother, there's going to come a day you better walk in love. Because you'll find out when you don't. See, it's not the hearing of it. It's the doing of it. And that's why James says, now look, you can't stop at being a hearer. You might be halfway there, but you've got to graduate to becoming a doer because those that just hear, you'll find out they're self-deluded. See, they think knowing the Hebrew, Greek history of the word, committing it to memory and immediately ascending to the word, that's sufficient. That qualifies me. Right? Wrong. That's not enough. He was going to say, deceiving your own selves. Say, out your own my own me. Deceiving your own selves. You know how easy it is to get in that kind of rut to think because I go to church three times a week and I listen to what the Word has to say? Think about that. I listen to tapes. Brother Jimmy uh, talked about second-hand information. We talked about that today at lunch and we, talked, we were talking about how second-hand information is basically just listening to what someone else has to say or what he has learned and just because it, he applied it to his life and heard it and did the study and all that and found out about it that we want to live off of that you can't do that getting in the word of god for ourselves is god's way of dealing with us his way of speaking to us his way of ordering our steps and directing our lives and changing us and maturing us and improving us and, and enabling us to be strengthened spiritually building faith in us to, to where we can get to the place that we indeed are the doers of the word of god Thank God for all the teachers and thank God for all the tapes and thank God for how much we've heard. But it's time to graduate, everybody. It's time to be a doer, everybody. All of us, doers of the Word, not hearers only. Self-deluded people. We need this Word every single day and meditate it every single day. Why? So that we can be doers of it. Joshua told us how. God told us how in Joshua. Well, let's read on. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Beloved, words that are heard only are soon forgotten. Listen carefully. Words that are heard only are soon forgotten. It's only those that are meditated upon that stick. It's those that are implanted into the life that remain and become a part of that person's life. If there is any value, if there's any benefit, whatever it is, it's short-lived. 
You may have taken a message that you heard. You were so thrilled by it, so excited about it. You went off and told somebody about it. And three days later, you don't even know it existed. It was a short-lived thing, wasn't it? Why? Because it was secondhand. Because it wasn't really a part of you yet. It was good. You heard it. You were excited about it. But it was short-lived. And really, the benefit was imperfect because it's imperfect faith. And he's saying right here, it's like this. A person looks into a mirror, in other words, he looks and sees what he looks like, and he walks away from the mirror, and how quickly he forgets what he looked like. Have you ladies ever done that when you were going somewhere and you needed to look your best, and you thought you looked your best, but you walked away from the mirror, and you thought... Hmm, I better take another look. And so you went back to make certain every hair was in place. And finally you said, I better just stand here for a few moments to make sure that I like everything that I see in the mirror. And then you went off on your way. See, a casual look was not enough for you. A casual glance was not enough for you. You needed to have a, a firmly fixed, steadfast look at yourself to make sure that every part of you was like you wanted it to be. And then you went off. That's what James is talking about. You can't just casually hear the word of God treat it casually and think that just because I heard it there's going to be staying power and that I'm going to be firmly fixed and planted in that word and the word is going to take root in my heart no no there's a need for us to have a steadfast look through meditation in the word of God allowing our spirit to absorb what that word is saying look at the next verse but whoso looketh that word looketh actually means appearing into, to peer into. Hold your place right there real quick and look at First Peter since it's real close by. Chapter 1 and verse 12. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves but unto us did they minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven which things the angels desire to peer into. Now, going back there. It's the same expression in James 1.25. Whoso peers into with the same desire, with the same enthusiasm, with the same want to, to grasp the meaning of the word. And also, to consider its implications for practical living. I don't just want to casually glance at this word, learn its surface value, and then go off on my way and not having it become a practical part of my life. Just as the angels desire to look into the things of redemption and to know what we know, we too must have a desire to peer into the word of God the perfect law of liberty with a desire to make it a practical part of our everyday lifestyle. It's only with that attitude and motivation of heart does meditation take that word and allow your spirit to absorb it so it is that kind of a part of your life. I want change, Father. I see what that word says. I'm looking into it from every angle with desire, with intensity, with a wantingness 
to know the reality of that truth and experience in a practical way it in my life, in a practical way. That is what he's saying. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of, it's the perfect law of what? Liberty. Why? Because it sets people free in every area of their lives. You want freedom tonight? Here's the key. We need to peer into the perfect law that liberates us from everything that binds us. If we have that desire and we look into it and we absorb it through meditation and make it a part of our lives, then there'll be freedom. What does that make you think of when you hear that? Something that Jesus said? You see, beloved, a real listener is going to peer into the Word of God with such enthusiasm and desire that he will not give up until it becomes a part of himself. He will continue and continue and continue and continue and continue therein. What did Jesus say? If you continue in my word, you're my disciple indeed. And you shall know the truth. Come into oneness with the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's the perfect law of liberty. I have got to see my redemption from the hand of Satan. I have got to to meditate that, to peer into it. I've got to see Jesus enter into the strong man's house. I've got to see him bind him up, strip him of his authority and power. I've got to see him rise from the dead, take his blood into the high court of heaven. I've got to see the high court of heaven accept that blood and vindicate me. I've got to see my eternal redemption obtained through the blood of Christ. And when I do, beloved, when I peer into that, and I see that clearly in my mind's eye, and I absorb the reality of it, I'm liberated. I'm free. Can you see that? He continues therein. Look at what it says. He looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein. He shall know the truth if you continue in my word and the word shall make you free. He being not a forgetful hearer, not one who glances at the word and then goes his way, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This man is blessed in his deed. As another translation says, he is blessed in his doing. Meditation. He takes that word, he absorbs it. He paints pictures upon the canvas of his heart. He sees it in his mind's eye. And I'll tell you what, it builds up on the inside of him and he has already won a battle in his mind. He's won the victory already before it ever materializes out here in the natural realm. And all that's left for him to do is start shouting for joy. Thank God I'm free. I see it. I'm free indeed. He broke the chains that bind me. He's free because of his continuing in the Word of God through meditation, peering into it. He's able to be a doer of it. And he graduates. And let me close here quickly because I think the next verse really connects all this. But if any man among you seems to be religious, he seems to be religious through his religious observances, well, I attend church, I go to the Bible study, I do this and I do that. If any man seems to be religious but does not bridle his tongue, go on back to what he said, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak. We should be doing more meditation than conversation is what he's saying here. 
If this man thinks that his observing religious duties is what makes him spiritual while he spews out gossip and does all these other things with his words, with his mouth that is not under control, this man's religion is vain. He deceives his own heart. His religion is worthless. I don't want my experience in God to be worthless, do you? Then, beloved, there is a need for people to graduate and to be elevated to the place of becoming a doer of the Word of God, a doer of love, watching your tongue, speaking right things, fixing your soul. And then he goes on to say, you want to start somewhere? Take care of the widows and the fatherless. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Why? Because the world's way of thinking will contaminate you so quick. You'll speak in harmony with it. You'll speak in line with it. You'll pay no attention to what God has to say. Come on. One, I got one more minute. Give me one more minute here. You put on your television set. You get wrapped up and caught up in the nightly news and you'll find yourself in such a low, low state because all you hear is nothing but doom and gloom and, and killing and murder and rape and robbery and all that stuff. You flood your ears with all that stuff. You hear it day after day. You're, you don't want to send your child out there into this world because it's so crazy right now. You don't know what you can uh, trust, who you can trust and what you can believe in anymore. I, you listen to that. It'll, I'll tell you what makes you crazy. You meditate that. You hear that it's in your ears everywhere. You're defeated. But you shut that thing down, praise God, and put on the Word of God and start thinking of the thoughts of God, thinking about what God said and fixing your mind on these things, things that say to us, what is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith, praise God. What did God say? You've got a problem? You've got a mountain? Speak to that mountain. It'll be removed. See it removed, praise God. See that mountain of debt removed. Speak to it. Put that in your mouth. Don't honor him with your lips while your heart is far from him is what he's saying. It's time to get it from the lips to the heart and then back out through the mouth and you'll have reality. Let's stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.